Welcome to the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast, where we dive into the climate change crisis and discuss how technology and innovations can help save our planet. We're your hosts, Cody Sims and Hannah Davis. Join us as we talk with sustainability experts, investors, and founders about the issues we're collectively facing today due to climate change and how entrepreneurship can help. Welcome, Chip and Sierra. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today around climate change. Before we get started, I'd love to just hear a brief bio from both of you around what you do in the world. Sierra, how about you? My name is Sierra Peterson, and I have been thinking about market-driven solutions to climate change for the past 15 years. And along the way, I have worn hats as a policymaker, as a company builder, and the past six years as an investor in early stage companies across the climate tech spectrum. I'm a professor at University of Hawaii. I've been here for about 30 years and I had been teaching for about 15 years or so. I decided I needed my own textbook because what I wanted to teach was different than what I found in the existing textbooks. And I wrote an introductory geology textbook that focused much more on environmental problems with separate chapters on paleoclimate or natural geologic history of climate change, as well as modern anthropogenic climate. And writing the anthropogenic climate change piece got me to realize the seriousness of the situation that we were already in and also to recognize the lack of response by society to the problem. But Chip, one thing... I hear a lot is that to enter the climate space, you have to be a climate scientist, which you are. And I'm curious how you would respond to that question. The answer is no, you do not need to be a climate scientist to enter the climate space. We all have at our fingertips free knowledge, right? The internet brings us all the information we need. We even have Google Scholar, which will take us to peer-reviewed scientific literature. It's always important when entering the climate change space to be extremely self-skeptical. Always question the opinions that you're developing and research them down to the point where you feel that you have confident support from legitimate scientists at legitimate institutions. What is important is to be... Uh, critical thinker and to ask what are secondary and tertiary impacts of things that you may be looking at. And I think one of the things that's important for all of us to do is to begin speaking what we're learning. Talk to friends, family, and get the sentences and get the words together in your head so that you can pass the word along that what you're learning is truly scary and that we are not responding quickly enough, and that all of us have a job to do in this crisis. And Sierra, you didn't come from a science background. You have an economy background and business. How do you think about being in the space without that scientific background? Think about it as a market design question. The solution set here is at once a function of technology, and we see the influence of the technology in the cost of solar panels declining 89% in the past decades in the fact of having alternative protein that is coming to market for consumer use, replacing beef and other household staples with a unit economic basis that is more attractive, not to mention healthier. <laughs> These are functions of technology that enables us to create products that are simply better and more 
cost-effective for consumers, businesses, governments. It's also, though, a, a question of market incentives and aligning those incentives and pricing the climate risk that is out there. This is a physical problem, and yet the global financial market uh, has not yet accurately priced the risk that is already happening in terms of climate risk to physical assets and climate risk to operational planning and supply chains. So it comes down to technology and markets and the systemic solution set that I think appropriately addresses climate change and climate crisis as a systemic problem, too. These are not issues to be taken in isolation at all. This is where government can play a role. This idea of a Pigovian tax, it can make more expensive activities that are harmful to society as a whole. And cigarettes are a great example, right? So because so many people used to smoke cigarettes, we had a burden put on the healthcare system that drove up prices related to healthcare, the carbon footprint of choices that humans make. We have a choice of driving a low carbon vehicle or a high carbon vehicle. The high carbon vehicle should have an additional fee or tax placed on it because we all will pay for that individual's choice. Yeah, I think Chip is exactly right. And you can think about this in terms of Pugovian taxes is something I've been working on thinking about for the better part of the past two decades. What we've found in the, the implementation of that has obviously been highly politicized, but that there actually is real movement now that I am very hopeful about, both in terms of more accurately pricing carbon, and we see leadership from the EU, from Canada in this regard, and in the financial markets themselves, independent of a compliance signal for having a price on a ton of carbon in the United States, though California has been doing interesting work here, in better recognizing the risk embedded throughout the financial system through carbon risk disclosure, one, and two, through, again, a recognition of the assets at risk. The Carbon Disclosure Project recently released a report that listed more almost a trillion dollars in physical assets at risk of climate change in the next five years. That's real when you have, say, hotel chains that are trying to, for operational planning purposes, understand how many heating days they're going to have to consider in terms of the usage of their hotel rooms, the power that they're going to have to procure to power all their AC, it affects all sorts of operational decisions that are near term. So again, there are many ways to reflect the cost, the externality of carbon pollution and the effects of climate change. A carbon price is a great way to do it. It can be universally applied throughout a system. And Absent that, reducing subsidies for fossil fuels is a great way to do it as well. Not complete, but better reflection of the risk embedded in companies' physical asset base and in their supply chain and operational planning is something that I'm particularly excited about. So Hawaii is hard at work on this concept of a carbon fee or a carbon tax. Our legislature has met. Two years ago, they solicited a report on carbon tax specific to Hawaii, asking also for recommendations from the University of Hawaii. That report was written, it's been submitted, and some of the thinking is to raise what we have here is known as a barrel tax. Right now, Hawaii at large, the entire state has developed roughly 25 to 30% of its power generation from renewable sources. But if you go back a decade or a decade and a half, that was down to just a couple of percent. And almost all of our power came from oil, freighters, coal coming into Hawaii. And a few years ago, 
we initiated a $1 barrel tax. So everything was made equivalent to a barrel of oil, and there was an additional dollar placed on that as it would come into the state. They're thinking of raising that $1 perhaps up to 10, and that represents an additional source of revenue to the government. Some initial thinking is to use that to rescue some of the COVID recession folks who have lost their jobs, to stimulate the economy to come out of the current recession, and then start to reprogram that revenue into more direct climate-related issues. But there's also a social equity piece to this. So if we apply that barrel tax to gasoline and we have folks who drive vehicles that have very low efficiency, low mileage efficiency being taxed more, turns out that the very same folks who tend to drive older, low efficiency vehicles are the folks that are driving in from distant parts of the island of Oahu into Waikiki to change the beds and to take care of the visitor industry. And if we're asking them to pay more to drive in and do these service jobs, it's extremely unfair. You can't just levy a carbon tax on a community. You have to do it in a way that doesn't worsen the social stratification that may already exist. And Hawaii is extremely socially stratified with billionaires from around the world coming in and buying houses at exorbitant prices, and then a very large service economy because we are tourism dependent. Yeah, I completely agree with what Chip mentions there. The market design here really matters, both in terms of overall environmental impact and in enabling a sense of justice within the response to and the effects of climate change and our response to them. Yeah, I love how much both of you are bringing in systems thinking and the integration in all these different sectors. What advice would you have for entrepreneurs around collaboration across nonprofits, universities, academics, and corporates, and specifically policy in the climate space? I think one of the very tactical pieces of advice that I find sometimes useful, and that I certainly look for when I'm diligencing a company. So two things, how thoughtful they are about the markets that they are selling into. Frequently, if you're a company within the power sector, you're going to be selling into a market that is regulated, at least here in California and elsewhere across the United States. And so you really need to be thoughtful about the market dynamics there. So are they aware of the peculiarities and the nuances of some of these markets and the players and the regulations that govern supply and demand in these markets? So that's one. Two, do they have an opinion on policy changes that are going to be helpful in better reflecting the value of the products that they are building? What are they doing about those? Are they part of a consortium of like-minded companies who are out to overtake incumbents? If not, why not? And what are their specific thoughts on how the markets could be more efficient in their operation? And then three, have they reached out to and taken advantage of non-dilutive public financing in the form of grants, in the form of public support? Because many of these companies are coming to market with world-changing technologies that have obviously a you know, profit potential and can really benefit both local communities, but the world at large. And so there is very frequently money available, public support available, that companies I think too frequently overlook in the rush to find fancy big name VC dollars. And there's no point in selling more of your company than you need to and financing some of your hard tech startup costs with equity. You can probably find a lower 
cost of capital solution that will enable you to maintain more ownership and benefit your investors along the way. So those are the three of the things that I look for, in, particularly in conversations with companies that are coming to market in regulated markets. You mentioned earlier, like the last decade, we really saw the price of renewables and battery technology go down and, and had a lot of ripple effects. What would you say the next decade is going to look like in climate tech? <laughs> so next decade, things that I am truly excited about, I think one, the systemic recognition and repricing of embedded climate risk, both in terms of risk to physical assets from the unfortunate effects of an accelerating climate crisis in terms of drought, wildfire risk, extreme weather events. This is everything from the unfortunate likelihood of damage from wildfires to supply chain planning, particularly for agricultural inputs. So that's one piece. And I think we'll continue to see that in tandem with a regulated price on carbon and even independent, given the physical forces of accelerating global warming that are making themselves known right now. Two, I am, as a longtime believer in the economic opportunity of energy efficiency. I'm excited about the move to electrify everything and away from more expensive internal combustion engines that are more expensive to maintain relative to battery storage and electrical appliances. I think this is in partnership with a truly renewably powered grid. This has huge potential. And I think we'll see grid optimization and a better consumer experience accompany the transformation of how we use power. Three, really excited about the shift in consumer behavior towards better experience in both what we eat and how we move. We're going to see strong movement in those areas. I hope that we see a, a rapid growth in recognition that basically the developed world, the Northern Hemisphere, if you will, is strip mining the developing nations who still have abundant natural resources, which they are selling off in the form of timber, ag lands, mineral resources, in order to support and supplement the high-flying lifestyle of those of us in the developed world. And completely in parallel with what Sierra is saying, we need to change this assumption in the Western world that resources are endless and we can continue to live an incredibly convenient lifestyle. The truth is the new form of colonialism is that developing nations who still have an abundance of natural resources are selling off those resources to those of us in the developed world so that we can live completely irresponsible and unreasonable lifestyles. One way to begin the rectification process is for us to invest in the developing world and move them quickly through the very economic market-based steps that Sierra has been talking about. That not only will be good for the developing world and raise their health, their education, their food and water security, but it will also be good for us because it will be bringing the rest of the planet along as we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And as Sierra pointed out, those emissions need to decline by 40 to 50% by the end of this decade. So... That's my optimistic statement about what I hope to see this decade from a humanitarian social point of view. And I agree with what Sierra has said from an economic market-based point of view. 
Now, if you listen to Kamal and her podcast, she refers to the rise of temperature on the planet is going to make large areas of the continental tropics basically unlivable. And what we're looking at is potentially a third of humanity needing to move. And a certain amount of that is unstoppable at this point. If we were to stop all greenhouse gas emissions today, we're likely to see roughly a half a degree C of continued warming take place. Part of that is because the dirty emissions associated with igniting fossil fuels produce soot that partially blocks sunlight. And so the atmosphere is going to clean, not only if we stop emissions today, but as we, over time, replace dirty emissions with clean sources of energy. So what is today a global dimming phenomenon is going to clear up and that's going to allow more sunlight in which is going to cause warming. I completely agree with Chip's assessment. For anybody who is thinking about starting a company in this space and devoting your time and talent to working on climate solutions, I can tell you your work matters. This is the defining challenge of our time. And if you succeed, you will influence the quality of life on Earth and the only known life that we know in the universe. I think about that every day. There is a lot to be concerned about. We are losing hundreds of species every week to extinction. A change threatens more than a million species. As Chip points out, there are already mass migrations and destabilizing effects of climate change underway. If you are thinking about starting a company, you should do it because if you succeed, you will have influenced, again, life on the planet. That is a perfect place to wrap up the conversation with invitation to our listeners to engage and get involved. Thank you both so much. Super grateful for the work that you do in the world and for joining the Techstars community to share it with us today. Thanks so much for listening today. We really hope you enjoyed the discussions. If you're a founder working in climate tech and sustainability, we invite you to check out the Techstars Sustainability Challenge, where we bring together founders and industry leaders to build out real world solutions. Also, applications are open until May 16th for our Techstars Sustainability Accelerator in partnership with The Nature Conservancy. Check out the episode notes for links and more information. See you in the next episode of the Techstars Climate Tech Podcast.